Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the campfire. The only place where friends and strangers alike sit down and tell tales in truth or fiction. In exchange of my blessing of their safe travels. Allow me to relight the fire while you relax and listen. Make your mind wander about the reality we live in. The story I'm about to tell you is from a traveler named Harum 556. He called this experience. The family next door kept a man under their house. Please, allow me to tell you his tale. Danny's parents told him never to go into the basement. I was over at his place the first time he tried to open that thick, dark oak door. I remember him flashing me that cheeky, lopsided smile before standing on his tiptoes and straining for the handle. I remember his dad snatching him away a second later and slamming him back down next to me with a force that brought tears into Danny's eyes. Mr. Johnson was a very big man, and although I'd known him all my life, he had always been a slight source of fear for me. As I grew older, this infantile nervousness around him subsided a little, but he always made me wary. Mr. Johnson knelt, gripping Danny's shoulders. His face was red with anger, but he also looked shaken. I noticed he was trembling almost as much as his son. Listen to me, Danny. His voice cut like a knife. You never, ever, open that door. Do you understand me? Never. I've told you before and I'll tell you again. Under no circumstances do you go in there. Then he bundled his sniveling son into a tight hug before inviting us to come to watch cartoons. Afterward, I had asked Danny what was behind the door. He had told me, in a roundabout way, that it was his basement. He seemed only half interested in the conversation, always distracted by the tinkle of an ice cream truck or an interesting stick. Danny's zealous imagination could take anything innocuous, anything every day, and turn it into something extraordinary. Sometimes, I thought he could actually see the things he dreamed up. Danny and I had always been friends. We were never really given a choice in the matter. Our families neighbored each other directly, and our parents had known each other since college. They just heaped the infant Danny and I together and waited for a bond to grow. And there was a bond in the simplest sense. We were best friends. We were always together, in the same class at school. In the same scout group, we even ducked into and out of each other's houses like they were connected. For me, there didn't exist a life where Danny wasn't there to get me into trouble or to get me out of it. Of course, we had our differences. I was always the quiet one, good in school, rarely to be found without my nose in a book. Indeed, if it hadn't been for the influence of the popular and gregarious Danny, I might well have been subject to harsh teasing throughout my education. That was how our unspoken trade-off played out. Danny would vouch for me amongst our peers, seeing that I was invited to games of tag and birthday parties and I would help Danny with his schoolwork. He never had a head for sums or science, 
but his weakest spot was English. Spelling, creative writing, a rare point of humiliation for Daddy. He could never wrap his brain around which words fit to which meaning, or which meaning fit to which word, or what the word was for a particular meaning, etc. Looking back, he was at the very least dyslexic, and probably had other conditions which meant he struggled in school. Sorry, let me get to the point. Danny's parents told him never to go into the basement. And after that first incident, met by harsh parental discipline, he obeyed the command. Whenever we were at his house, we would stick strictly to his room, or the lounge, or the garden. But over time, as it always did, Danny's insatiable curiosity grew. His eight-year-old brain feared punishment too much to try opening the door again without intel on what lay behind it. And any questions directed at his parents about the contents of the basement were either ignored or met with rebuking. His parents probably rightly realized that. If Danny were to gain the smallest morsel of information about that room or catch the tiniest glimpse of what lay inside, then his wild imagination would create the other pieces of the puzzle causing his curiosity to become too much to bear. After a few months, Danny would often bring up the basement in conversation, presenting, in childish dialect, his latest speculations on what could be in there to my appraising ear an alien egg, a robot clone, a baby dragon. For my part, I was not terribly interested in the contents of my neighbor's basement, as well as being too timid to ever aid Danny in a break-in. Danny was convinced that his parents were hiding something in there, and it was precisely his parents' caginess in the face of his inquisition which strengthened this theory. His older brother, Aaron, 15, only laughed when Danny brought his theories to him and called him retarded. Then one day, something changed. That morning, when Danny came galloping from his front door to join me in our walk to school, there was a strange air about him. He kept shooting me sideways looks and suppressed smiles as if he knew a secret and was bursting to tell. Of course, knowing Danny, his lips did not remain sealed. There's a man in the basement. The words came tumbling out of his mouth in a pile, leaving him panting. It caught me off guard. My rational brain couldn't comprehend such an offload of information. What? What do you mean? I heard him whispering through the floor. He heard me, and I unlocked the door. Dad was at work. I opened the door, and there were these dark steps and I could see the man down there, and... Wait, wait. Danny, you really saw a man in your basement? Yeah, yeah, I heard him whispering through the floor, whispering for help. Stop messing with me, man. No, I swear. I double, triple swear. Only this most sacred of oaths made me pause in my denial of Danny's story. For the first time, I let the thought cross my mind. Was it true? I began to question him hesitantly. Slow down. What about your dad? I told you, Cam. He was working late. Your mom. She was home, but I couldn't just ignore it. She'll kill you if she catches you, man. She won't. I shut the door afterward. So dot 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 he whispered through the floor. Yeah, he must have heard me walking around. The house was really quiet. I heard him whispering. I put my ear to the floor. Near the moldy floorboard. You know where I mean. And I could hear him. His voice was really scratchy like he had a cold or something. He sounded pretty cuckoo, kept repeating himself, asking for help, over and over, mumbling about being alone in the dark, or something. I resigned myself, reluctantly, to belief. Dude, that's really weird. You should tell your parents. I advised. 
Here's the thing, Cam, Danny whispered, voice crackling with excitement. What if they're? They're keeping him in there. No, man, that's crazy. What are you? You remember that film that Aaron showed us? The one mom got mad at him about. There was that guy, the mad scient dot 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 sci dot dot dot. Scientist. That's what I was going to say. That mad scientist. He kept those two dudes in his basement. All chained up. He put that needle in them. You know when their eyes exploded. Both of us paused to screw our faces up in disgust at the memory. And then he came in with that knife. And they were screaming. And then mom walked in and switched it off. What if that's what mom and dad are doing, keeping that man down in the basement? I took a moment to digest this. Think about it, Cam. All the facts add up. This was a catchphrase Danny had learned off the TV. Faced with Danny's, to me, flawless logic, I had no choice but to agree. Looking back, I find it strange how we were able to establish such a mental disconnect. How we could wholeheartedly believe that Mr. and Mrs. Johnson were carrying out the actions of a serial killer, and yet harbor no ill feeling towards them, in Danny's case love them. Our attitude towards them did not change at all. Sometimes we forget how simple the mind of a child really is. How innocent, and conversely, how easy to shatter. Danny filled me in further, explaining how the man had been on all fours had the bottom of the dark steps, and how thin and bony he had looked. Danny seemed to imply at one point that he had made direct eye contact with the man. But he appeared to grow slightly uncomfortable at that point, quickly moving on with his description of the event. He had been about to go down those steps when he had heard his mom calling him from upstairs. Then, he had exited the basement, locking the door, and replacing the key behind the toaster, where he knew his dad kept it. Over the next week, Danny updated me regularly. He had been unable to find a moment where it was possible to open the door again. But he told me that at a few quiet moments in the evenings he had whispered through the floor to the man. And the man had occasionally whispered back. He was careful never to let his parents catch these strange conversations. Doing so would alert them to the fact that he knew their secret. He was always vague about the exact contents of these talks through the floor. I took this as a way of him guarding his secret like a serpent guards its hoard of treasure. But that Sunday, Danny granted me access to the treasure trove. Like most Sundays, I arrived at his house early in the morning, ready for a day of cartoons and fort building. But as soon as Danny had closed the door to his bedroom, he explained that he had a new item on the agenda. You're going to talk to him today. I did not have to ask who he meant. Looking back, I am not sure I even wanted to take part in this eerie ritual. I am sure I was terrified by the idea of whispering to an unknown man underneath the floor. Danny led me downstairs, leading me over to the spot near the moldy floorboard, his communication link. He bade me kneel down, put my ear to the floor, and speak. As it was, I only had to listen. No sooner did my ear touch the floor than it was assailed by a strange sound, almost like a stormy wind or nails on a blackboard. Straining my hearing, I could make out sounds, then words, then sentences. My brain came to terms with the fact that it was all true. That there really was a man, this man, mere meters below me. I jumped up with a start, the heart suddenly racing, sending Danny into fits of giggles. But I wasn't laughing. There was something altogether not right about what was happening. My young mind couldn't place it exactly, but it had something to do with that awful, rasping voice. Slowly, I dipped my head again, 
this time paying attention to what was being whispered to me. Hey, hey, you still there? Help me, please kid, you gotta help me. There's nothing down here but the shadows, shadows all around. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help, 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 help. This frantic repetition did not come with a rise in pitch or even a waver in tone or consistency. The speaker spat the words out at a ferocious rate, concentrating only on clarity and speed. They whispered as someone who has learned that they must whisper, regardless of how much they want to scream. But slowly, as I listened to the repetition, the begging for aid, I detected a rising urgency. No, Anne, was it. Anger. Yes, it was discernible now, a clear and growing hate behind the words. Little shit. I'm begging you. Please, please, I'm fucking begging you. Come down here and help me. What are you doing? What are you doing? Help, help me. And then, as I listened in petrified silence, not breathing, just listening, he began to say other things. I'm not going to put them down here. I haven't spent 20 years in therapy, trying to burn them from my mind to put them down here. Just know that, from what he said and how he said it, all I could think was that this man, this wretched thing below me, was the most desperate person I had ever come into contact with. To prostrate himself like that, to abase himself, to make himself little better than an animal, it made me think that he was absolutely terrified out of his mind. I had heard enough. I turned my ear away from that crack in the floor, and I made my mistake. I looked down. It was only for a second. A second was all it took. I saw his eye. In that dark crack, I saw what I first thought to be a fat cockroach or a bulging woodlouse. Some kind of rotund insect. Bulbous and chittering. Then the ruptured, dirty brown, chill-like eyelid opened. Time slowed down, the roomy, red-tinted pupil frantically flitting. Resting on me. The eye was milky white, with collections of dank yellow goop collecting in the corners. Veins bulged across its surface, giving the impression that it was about to burst. I couldn't look away. I felt like that blighted eye was staring straight into my soul. Like a madman, a wild thing. I fell back, letting out a cry of fear. I pushed past Danny, running out the front door, tears streaming down my cheeks. I didn't stop until I was under the covers of my own bed, choking sobs echoing into my pillow. I wouldn't tell my parents what was wrong, looking back. I wish I had. After a while, guilt and boredom conquered my fear and I returned to Danny's house. He let me in sheepishly, treading on eggshells around me, unsure of what had caused my reaction. I found my outburst to be humiliating and resolved myself to pretending nothing had happened. Yet I still refused to look over at that door or the spot on the floor where that voice had whispered to me. That evening, shortly before I returned to my own home for supper, Danny and I sat on his bed, talking. What are you going to do? I asked, what do you mean? I mean, what are you going to do about, about him? A brief moment of hesitation, remembering that horrible eye, emerging from the dark. Well, I'm, I'm, gee, man, I don't know. What do you mean? You're really going to let your parents just keep him down there? He doesn't sound like he's having fun. You're right. Danny's eyes gleamed eye. I should rescue him. No, no. Danny, I meant like tell Mrs. Carter or somebody. But Danny was far away, imagining himself playing the part of the hero. Crowds thanking him, 
the president meeting him, all the chocolate he could eat. I realized forlornly that he would not be persuaded. I'm going to get him out. I, I don't think that's such a good idea. What about your parents? Donnie, if they catch you, they won't catch me. I'm quick and I've opened the door before, remember. Besides, Danny attempted a macho persona. What are they gonna do? Crown me. No cartoons for a week. He scoffed. Where before, the punishment had been enough of a threat to deter him. It now was useless. Danny had too much to gain. No, Danny. I attempted to put into words a concept my young mind could not fully realize. Something unpleasant. A darkness hatching at the back of my brain. Something beyond being grounded. Something beyond the simplistic idea that a parrot loves you no matter what. I also think that I did not believe, in my heart of hearts, that Mr. and Mrs. Johnson were truly capable of holding someone in their basement against his will. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. That they were truly capable of hurting Danny. My warning came out as vague and feeble. I think that if they catch you, they're going to do something really bad. But Danny wasn't listening. He explained to me how, that night, after his parents had gone to bed, he would sneak downstairs, grab the key from its hiding place behind the toaster, unlock the door, go down those dark, dark steps, and bring the man in his basement into the light. He said that he would be extra careful, and if he heard his parents coming, he would just lock the door and hide. As I left that evening, he told me he would tell me all about his escapade the next morning. On our walk to school, looking back, I marvel at how we could have possibly thought that our daily routine would be the same. That night, I was racked with fear. Not the same fear as I had felt after seeing that eye. That was short and sharp and painful, like an electric shock. No, this fear was far worse. It was slow and creeping. Slithering around in the pit of my stomach, strangling me. I didn't touch my food and was sent to bed early. My parents thought I was ill. Danny's parents told him never to go into the basement. And the next day, Danny was gone. I waited for some time on the sidewalk, outside his house, praying to see that cheeky, lopsided smile. But he never came. Eventually, Mrs. Johnson saw me through the front window and came out. Is Danny sick? I asked. I already knew, though, what was coming. No, we thought he had gone to yours. A look of fear spread over Mrs. Johnson's face, and the nightmare began. Over the next three months, I got accustomed to seeing the flashing lights of police cars and seeing cops coming and going through Johnson's home. At first, the Johnsons were panicked. There was no sign of a break-in. The front door was still locked, and the neighborhood was so friendly, everyone knew each other. There was absolutely nothing which could explain Danny's disappearance. I remember, after the first week, adults began talking in hushed tones around me. That must have been when they made the development in the case. On the third day, the story made it onto the local news. The Johnsons were interviewed outside their home. In the short time, their initial panic had faded to anguish and despair, at least from the outside. Only I knew the truth. Danny had been caught. 
His parents had done something horrible to him. If I had been afraid of Mr. Johnson before, I couldn't be in the same room as him now. I tried to tell anyone who would listen of my secret insight, but nobody would pay it any notice. Indeed, I was scolded by my parents for being insensitive and inappropriate. Over the years, I stopped trying to convince people. My pain just became a numb, Danny-shaped hole, but I never forgot. When I was older, probably around 13, my mother decided it was time for me to know the truth of the case. What they had found at the end of the first week. She explained that Danny's house didn't have a basement. Behind that thick, dark oak door, there was an old, unused supply closet. His parents told Danny to never, ever go in there because they stored bleach and other harmful chemicals inside. Danny had never been told it was a basement. That was pure speculation become fact a product of his troubles with words and his overreactive imagination. Inside that closet, behind mops and boxes of clutter, the police had found a hole, the bricks and planks of one corner ripped away. In that hole, there was a dark, dark flight of steps, formed from the rubble and broken stones. The dark, dark steps led down into the large sewage tunnel directly beneath Johnson's house. In the sewage tunnel, they found many things. A used mattress, a kitchen knife, and the opening that had been made in the top of the tunnel. The chair which had been used to reach the floorboards of Danny's living room. To whisper through, there was writing on the wall, scribblings about shadows, and being alone in the dark. Danny hadn't been caught, unfortunately for him. He had made it down there. The police searched the local sewage network and its reservoirs. Nothing. Eventually, they found the last clue they would ever find, several miles away an old decrepit storm drain, Danny's watch, half submerged in the mud and slime, and a single bloody handprint made by a small hand against the wall of the drain, elongated along its length, where someone had fought desperately to not be dragged away. I was wrong. The voice I heard under the floor that day wasn't the voice of a man filled with terror. It was the voice of a man who was utterly, utterly deranged. Now, that was the end of my tale. I hope you enjoyed yourself, listening while escaping the world you live in. That is all for today. Safe travels and a blessed day.